Thanks for tuning into the Life in the Front Office podcast. I'm your host, Jay Kirschman. Remember to subscribe on Apple Podcasts or Spotify. And thanks to Suja Organic for their support. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And enjoy today's episode. Welcome to today's episode on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Excited to be with my guest in Jackson Newsmith, associate at Spring Hill Company and The Uninterrupted. Uh, excited to get into Jackson's journey. Uh, he's certainly someone who I've kept my eye on, certainly admire kind of his uh, trajectory and you know path that he's taken thus far in the industry. I was fortunate enough to get to know him in 2017 when I was at the Arizona Fall League. He was in the MLB League office um, and just fascinating to watch right from afar uh and, and jackson just always such a uh, uh we'll call mover and shaker right but um in, in the words of ronnie burton but uh we'll get into it and and just to unfold kind of how i introduced you as associate spring hill company uninterrupted what is that and then we'll get to how you got there Yeah, well, first and foremost, Shake, thank you um, for having me on your podcast. I am uh, one of your active listeners, as as you're well aware. Um, I think what you're doing, uh, both professionally and uh, kind of in your own personal lane, is is and brand is is quite extraordinary, especially for just where you are in your career and, and life and journey. I think that's echoed by a lot of our constituents and colleagues throughout the uh, the sports business industry. So, um, kudos to you always. Um, it's exciting to be here. I, uh, I am an associate uh, on the unscripted documentaries team at the Spring Hill Company in Uninterrupted. Um, what that means um, is is new to me as well. Obviously, you know me. Um, I'm I'm a uh, front office kind of baseball person uh, for majority of my early years in life, um, and have since transitioned into the world of uh, Hollywood and entertainment and and working. Um, at Spring Hill and at Uninterrupted. Um, for those who don't know, uh, the Spring Hill Company is a multimedia entertainment conglomerate um, that was founded and created by LeBron James, who's our chairman, and Maverick Carter, who's our CEO, um, in the mid-2010s. Uh, um, the goal originally of um, Uninterrupted and Spring Hill um, was to bring um, a platform that allowed athletes to come um, and, and be empowered to tell uh, the stories and the insights that they felt um, weren't hitting the zeitgeist of um, the media landscape uh, because they're being told through a third-party distribu distributor. So ultimately, you know, uninterrupted in its infancy was, um, you know, a reaction to, uh, you know, a media pundit telling LeBron that he needed to shut up and dribble. And LeBron ultimately said, you know, why should I, shut up and dribble? Am I not more than an athlete? Um, am I not more than, um, you know, what I do between the hours that I'm on a basketball court um, every evening? And so uh, that transformed into creating the brand and the ethos and the company of Uninterrupted, where, you know, athletes come and tell their stories um, from an uninterrupted uh, place and space. So there's not a third person or a third party kind of taking their words, chopping it up, slicing it up, and then going out. Um, distributing that. Spring Hill is how I describe um, 
you know, our broader company. Um, anything that we do that kind of sits in the lane of Spring Hill is empowerment at large, does nothing to do with sports. And Uninterrupted is kind of our sports brand. Um, our CEO always describes us as trying to be at the forefront of uh, the Disney of culture, if you will. So if you if you use that analogy, um, you know, that would make the Spring Hill company, you know, Walt Disney, and that would make Uninterrupted our version of ESPN. Um, so that's the way I kind of slice it and dice it to people. Um, and I sit again on, on the unscripted and documentaries team, um, where we're kind of tasked with, uh, creating, ideating and developing ideas and IP that, um, you know, we then pitch to networks, um, from Amazon to Apple, to Netflix, to Hulu, to everybody and every major player in the linear and streaming space. Um, then, then ultimately, uh, ends up on your, 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 you know, your streaming device. So, so when I'm watching the greatness code, you, you got it. When you're watching someone, the greatness, someone code, on this podcast had something, something yeah. to do with that. Yeah. And I, I can't take too much credit for that <laughs> one in particular. Um, but yes, my team most definitely. And, and, um, you know, my manager, uh, and Jamal, my managers, I should say Jamal Henderson and Philip Byron. Um, and then my colleague, um, and one of our senior leaders, Matt Rissmiller, um, you know, been working on greatness code for quite some time. And obviously season two just dropped. Um, you know, when you look at the landscape on Netflix, uh, a show like the playbook, um, uh, a documentary like Naomi Osaka or, uh, the Neymar, the multi-part Neymar series. Um, those are all things that come, um, from, you know, the group that I work with on a day-to-day -day basis and have, uh, the privilege to learn from and, and collaborate with every day. Certainly amazing. I, I know I've watched The Greatness Code myself. It's fascinating, right? I, I think my curiosity and people's stories such as yours and everybody else we've had on the podcast, right, goes just in line with what is what is the athlete's story, right? Like what's truly behind their experience before and after and during. Uh, let's talk about your journey of how you got to this role that you're in now, because truly unorthodox, like you know, one would, one would look at you. We've had a similar path in that we both graduated college in three years, both started out on the baseball side. Um, yours a little bit longer than mine, but still like you're in a front office position with the Chicago Cubs working at Wrigley field, working for Theo Epstein. Like, well, like most yeah. people would listen to that and they go, why the heck would you leave? Right. And so um, I just want to give some context to your path, but I'm sure there's a lot much a lot much more. Uh, yeah, no, absolutely. And, and I appreciate, um, obviously, you know, you know me fairly well and we've known each other a while. Um, but even that, you know, that background and context, I think a lot of people probably have a similar kind of, uh, you know, curiosity and, 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 and are quite perplexed, uh, even when I made the decision. Um, ultimately my journey in baseball starts from a really young age. I, uh, grew up as, uh, you know, an only child in San Francisco, um, was raised by a single mother, um, you know, and, uh, my life really quickly intertwined with baseball in a really real way. I, I always have said that the women in my family, um, are the ones who attracted me to sports, um, <clears throat> more than anyone else. And, um, that starts my mother, my grandmother who, um, you know, had did a love affair with the San Francisco giants for as long as I can remember. Um, we went to spring training, um, every year starting at the age of four years old, and, you know, that quickly matriculated into my, you know, interest and uh, passion for the game of baseball, um, basketball and football as well. I think for some reason, I just took a natural liking to baseball um, and, and that I saw that in so many different ways, whether it was, you know, um, 
my dad taking me out to the park to play, um, you know, whether it was my aunt reading me a, a story about Satchel Page and the Negro Leagues, um, whether it was a book report I was doing or, you know, the Little League team I was on, baseball is kind of always the thing that that kept me moving and shaking and grooving. Um, the older I got, the more I wanted to be around the game. And um, I was fortunate enough that uh, right in my own backyard, University of San Francisco and, and uh, you know, head coach, Nino Geritano would st started and founded a program called the Junior Dons. And, and ultimately what that was, was a collection of, of boys who grew up um, in San Francisco, which for those of you who don't know, um, you know, when you grow up in a city, it's hard to find access to, to fields um, because there's just so much limited space. There's not enough space for for people to to go out and play. And so ultimately they they opened up their program, their cup, their collegiate division one program um, to the kids of the city. And so um, before I knew it, I was spending hours on end at USF and that became kind of my safe haven and my, uh, you know, my second home. So, you know, when my mom was working late and she wouldn't get off till seven or eight. Um, I knew that after school, I could take the bus to USF and I could just hang out there. I could watch the the college team practice. I could, you know, stay and practice with my junior Don's team. And, you know, that just became, you know, my home away from home. And, and so as I got older, I think the question started to become, you know, what's next is, you know, high school baseball rounds around the corner and, you know, all these things start to, to pop up. And I got to the point where I was a sophomore in high school and um, I was still going to USF all the time after after practice. I was playing football and baseball, but I would still find my way to USF whenever I could. And at that point, um, associate head coach Greg Moore, who is now the head baseball coach at St. Mary's, um, you know, asked me a really interesting question, a profound question one day of, you know, hey, what do you want to do when you grow up and what do you want to do with your life? And I think, you know, Greg knew me well enough to know at that point that, you know, my aspirations were to be, uh, you know, the starting uh second baseman for the San Francisco Giants. Um, but I think ultimately um, what he was really asking me was, you know, what is it that you have aspired to do, even if baseball doesn't work out in a playing in a playing way? And it was a challenging question. I think I had never really thought of it at that point. Um, but I told him, I, you know, I, I kind of always saw myself within baseball and I didn't know what that meant or what that looked like, but that baseball was going to be a part of my life, no matter how it took shape. And he said, okay. At that point, he taught in the sports management master's program at USF, which is an extraordinary um, sports management program um, and, and well-renowned across the country. And he had a former student who worked in baseball operations at that time for the Giants. And so he he had, you know, set up, a, a, a you know, a lunch, a meet and greet between myself and his former student um, to get, you know, a bite and, and really me just have a general discussion about how he got his career um, and got to his place working for the Giants in the front office. And so I took that meeting, um, you know, eyes wide open. I really had no idea. I didn't even know what baseball operations was at that point in my life. Um, but I knew that I'd always wanted to be a bat boy because during my time hanging out at USF, I, I also bat boyed for the college team. And it had been something that I kind of always wanted to do um, for my hometown team, the San Francisco Giants. And so when I left that general, I kind of, you know, said off the cuff at the end, you know, if you ever need a mailroom boy or a bat boy or someone to come in and just, you know, help, I'm here. I want to be a part of it. You know, let me know. And I didn't think much of it. The Giants had just won their second World Series. And it was kind of, you know, I, I just, you know, didn't think that there was ever going to be that real chance or opportunity. About six months later, um, I got a phone call to ask to come try out um, as a bat boy on the visiting side and that really um 
Jake, that really changed my life. I mean, that was like my first introduction to working in, in professional sports. I got I to ask a really quick question. When you, got, when you got the call to go interview or try out for the bat boy, like, yeah, is there a like preparation? Like, well, like, yeah. what are you like, What are you doing? You're doing some sprints. You know, like, what I-, I mean, it's a great question. I think those who know, and, and you're one of those people, those who know, um, you know, working in, in baseball and in just sports in general, um, and especially when you get down to the nucleus, which obviously we all know is the clubhouse or the locker room, um, the closer you are to the players, the closer the proximity, the more I think it becomes just a feel um, type of situation. And how I describe feel is just, you know, someone has an understanding of, you know, the space and places that they're occupying and, and you know, when to say something, when not to, where to be and when to be there. And um, you kind of just, you know, you're kind of like wallpaper. How, how can you fit in and kind of be a chameleon and, and, uh, you know, just go about your job without kind of, um, you know, uh, making the situation uh, too too granular or too grand or too, you know, uh, too yeah, big. When, when, someone, when someone hands you their big diamond necklace to say, hey, I'm going to go stretch. Can you just hold on to this for me and give it to me in the fifth inning? Right, right, right. Exactly. You got it. Exactly. Or, or you walk in and you see somebody in the clubhouse who you idolize your whole life and you're like, Oh, you mean I can't go ask him for an autograph or I can't go, you know, those types of things. I think, um, you know, and luckily I, it was weird. It's like, I, I, you know, it's odd to say that at 16, you were prepared for a bat boy, uh, job, but I, I was, uh, I was prepared. I had a resume at that point and a lot of it, uh, a lot of it was based around me being a bat boy at USF and, um, have, having spent so much time around a collegiate program that had been as successful as the one that, uh, had been cultivated on the hilltop and, you know, when that opportunity came, um, you know, I kind of just took it by the horns and and really, um, I'll never forget it. It was 20, God, was that 2013? We were playing the Marlins and uh, yeah, it was, it was, you know, I met, I think Juan Pierre was the first player I ever met and just completely uh, was kind of shell-shocked, but could not have been nicer and, and kinder and more thoughtful. He, he gave me the, the, the tip of, uh, you know, always carrying a pen with you, no matter where you're at. And I, I still, to this day, always have a pen on me. I think it's just a, a habit now, but um, that really kicked it off. I mean, from there, I ended up staying with the organization the rest of that year on the visiting side. Um, as luck would have it, uh, one of the home side clubhouse attendants and bat boys um, left uh, to go off to school in 2014. And they asked if I wanted to move over to the home side. And, um, you know, I was a senior in high school, uh, going into my senior year, I was planning on playing college baseball. That was the goal that had kind of always been what I wanted to do and, and how I how I wanted to, you know, continue my college, you know, um, journey. But ultimately, uh, you know, when I got the opportunity to go to the home side um, and we ended up winning the World Series that year, it kind of really changed everything. I was a senior in high school, it was the fall of my senior year, and we had just won 2014 World Series, and I got to participate in all of it from – you know, um, the playoffs, the World Series, to the, you know, the celebrations afterwards, um, to the parade. And I think it was at that moment, um, I'll never forget being on a float going down Market Street. Um, I said, I want this feeling again in my life. I think I, I, I at that point, knew I was going to dedicate my life to trying to get back to that feeling, um, because it just was something that I can, um, I'll never be able to put it into words, um, to see your city alive like that, um, and to know you had something to do with it, to bring you that much joy and that much happiness to so many people um, who are in so many different places and spaces in their own lives um, and all will have lasting memories um, because of what, you know, the group of people that 
you were involved with was able to accomplish on the ball field. To me, it was, it was just, there was nothing else that could top that. Um, and so, yeah, that kind of set me on course to, you know, really stay in baseball. And at that point, you know, I kind of playing the game became a passive passion of mine. It was really all about, you know, working in the game at that point. I decided ultimately to go to Santa Clara. I, I, I got in there as a recruiter walk on. I kept my relationship with Gabe Rebus, uh, who now works in the Dodgers organization really close. And um, at that point he was the pitching coach and, you know, he's an extraordinary um, individual. And uh, I got there to campus quickly realized that, um, you know, I wasn't, I hadn't been prepared to be there. Um, I just had put more effort and energy and time into, you know, my job with the giants. And I think by the end of the fall, you know, it was clear that I was gonna have to make a real kind of life decision of whether or not I wanted to try to continue pursuing my baseball and playing career and, you know, go get better, um, and, and really make a run at trying to, you know, compete, um, you know, for a roster spot or, or ultimately, um, you know, give it up to continue playing or excuse me, working for the giants. And, uh, you know, so I got to school in the fall, I was working, working, going to school and trying to be a division one college baseball player and something I had to give. And so ultimately it was my playing career. Um, I think at that moment, I realized I could try to make it farther working in the game than playing. I just wasn't, I wasn't, a, I wasn't a toolsy guy. Um, I was kind of a grinded, grinded away guy. Uh, and I was like, you weren't getting letters, huh? No, I, w- I wasn't. Yeah, yeah. 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 No, it wasn't. Uh, what, when I got to Santa Clara, I was, I was adamant getting out of the Bay area actually is funny. I was going to go back East and, uh, I ended up at Santa Clara solely so I could keep playing and try to keep working for the giants. I had this, you know, vision of working and playing and going to school and doing all these things. And, it was ludicrous, but, but nonetheless, I, I attempted it. And I think by the end of the fall, I, I realized it was, it was time to give something up. And, and I just felt like at that moment in time, um, it was, it was, it was a good moment to close the chapter of my playing career and really, really lean in um, with everything I had into working um, for the giants and really within the space um, of, uh, of baseball. So giants, MLB commissioner's office. Yeah. Jobs, right. Like you made, you made yeah. the, yeah. So, I, yeah. So from there, so from there, I basically, when I stopped playing um, and it's funny, my, my then uh, volunteer assistant coach was Justin Veely, who's now the head hitting coach for the giants, the big league team, which is just, it's been incredible to watch his journey too. And I have a couple other teammates. Uh, Mitch White is pitching for the Dodgers. Uh, Stephen Wilson's pitching for the, for the Padres. So I, it's funny. I've had a couple of buddies um, and past teammates from Santa Clara when I made that decision uh, who are now in the big leagues and doing their own thing, which is, incredible. I just had to say that, but, but anyways, when I, when I stopped playing, um, ultimately I decided, uh, to really double down my efforts in the clubhouse. And so I, I kept working, I moved kind of more, we got a new, uh, clubhouse manager at that time, Brad Grems came over from the Diamondbacks. Um, he was famous part of the Diamondbacks organization was on the visiting side for almost 20 years before joining the giants. Um, and Brad became instantaneously kind of my biggest confidant, my biggest, supporter, mentor, friend, uh, and boss. And he really poured into me, um, teaching me uh, more about what it meant to run a major league clubhouse and, and giving me more responsibility and, and really giving me, uh, you know, the tools that I needed in order to grow in that space. Um, I came in, I started coming in more every day and, you know, I was going to class basically from 8am to noon every day. I drive into San Francisco, go to the ballpark and be the ballpark from 
two in the afternoon to one o'clock in the morning. I get my car and I drive home about two, three years into school. Um, it was two years in another kind of conversation uh, came, came up uh, much like the one with Greg Morden. And this time it was with a former player. Uh, and, uh, you know, they pulled me aside and said, Hey, you know, what do you want to do with your career? And I said, well, I'm living out my dream. I'm working in the college for San Francisco. He's like, no, no. He's like, I know that, but there's more here. Like, what is it that you want to do? And um, I said, I didn't know. I, I loved what I was doing. And he said, you know, we're going to New York in a couple of months to play the Mets. Everybody works for the commissioner's office. I think he'd be great for you to meet. Um, and so I ultimately ended up taking the trip with the team that year um, to New York when we played the Mets. And uh, I had the good fortune of meeting still to this day, a close friend of mine. Um, at that time, he wasn't. He was a new a new person in my life um, at the league office, someone we both know very well, and Chris Nettle. And, uh, oh, yeah. And, and Chris uh, and Chris and I met, and, you know, I, I we got to know each other a little bit. And ultimately, you know, I, I was lucky enough and fortunate enough that I got to meet a lot of different people from different departments in my time there. Um and, you know, I went back to, to Santa Clara and they said, why don't you apply for, you know, the internship program at MLB? And I said, great, um, applied, ended up, uh, you know, getting the privilege to go back that summer. Um, I left the Giants and went and worked in baseball operations um, under Jeff, Jeff Pfeiffer um, and, and, and Peter Woodforks at that point, Peter Woodforks group. And it was kind of a, uh, you know, it, it was a how do I put it, um, a rotational program. So I really, at that point, got to touch every facet of baseball operations. So major league ops with Jeff, um, you know, minor league ops with Gina, um, you know, I, you know, Matt McKendry with the umpires group. Um, I did some international work, um, you know, some videos. One of the fascinating groups, the umpires groups. I got yeah, I mean, yeah, and Matt, and Matt's, yeah, Matt's, yeah. It's I mean, so incredible, right? And yeah. Yeah. And what's crazy is like there's some guys that I'm watching on TV now that are yeah. doing the games behind home plate. Right. And they were part of that Arizona Fall League group that was yeah. trying to make it to the next level. Yeah. Right. And no, it's people don't um, they're making their dreams come true too. It's pretty no cool. doubt. And people that's a great point, Jake. And it's funny because I think a lot of people don't realize um how much really goes into um you know, making a game come to life at 7 p.m. or 7.15 start or a 105 start um, every day. And I think that was my first window into that. Like, it was my first foray into, like, wait a minute, this is a ginormous undertaking. Um, you know, I'll remember, I'll never forget when Kathy, um, who at that point worked with Matt, took us over to Chelsea Market to go see, you know, what at that point had been, you know, replay in its infancy and, you know, even seeing that um, Justin Clem and that group over there uh, running replay, it just was incredible to see that whole operation. And, you know, in that group, um, I ended my summer. It was an extraordinary opportunity. You know, I also got to work with at that time, you know, uh, Chris Nettle and, and, and Mike Sansaran on, on the, uh, you know, on the uh, on-field side, Freddie on the, the minor league side. So that there was a lot of, you know, just continuity across the board of, of touching a little bit of everything. I think, I think one of the, the key things is like the people that you're naming to have been in the business for a while, right? They're all great leaders yeah. or, or parts of teams. And yeah. I think just across any of your experiences, right? It's like, you know, 
everybody kind of know has some sort of degrees of separation from from people right and so um as you're learning from all those people it's like your your exposure or your experience is exponentially increased because you're learning from so many different people in so many different areas as opposed to being siloed in one area right and no doubt. only and having that experience and talking yeah. to all these different people and I think there's also an element of like those couple people that you know you were mentioning took you aside for those conversations to to dig into like what did you really want to do realizing that they were going to try and maybe poke around in your mind to like get things stirred up right yeah. for you to, to be like oh I could do this right because you just don't know what you don't know 100%. and you get to the Cubs front office um, for a couple of years. And what I want to do is uh, I want to understand, like, how do you go from a position like that where then all of a sudden you can transfer your skills yeah. right, to an entirely different part of the industry yeah. Yeah. and go have success? No, 100%. Yeah. And, uh, you know, I, I'll wrap up the, the league office just by saying uh, it was I was fortunate enough to end up going back and, and having a couple more stints there within college with the league economics group, the labor group, um, you know, and just, again, some extraordinary individuals that really, I learned a facet of the industry and the business um, that would really help me build and grow skills um, that would afford me opportunities and privileges to then go work for the Rays and then ultimately the Cubs. Um, and so that was really like, you know, leaving base operations. I ended up staying on for the fall and in, uh, you know, on field operations and doing some macro level projects for them um, in the league at group, finally leaving, coming back the following summer and, and working in, in, in league economics, um, you know, under the, under the, the, the guise of, of someone like Reed McPhail and, and John D'Angelo and, and that whole group uh, running up into Morgan. I mean, it, you know, what, a, what an opportunity, what a privilege, um, you know, and that, that ultimately led me to my first real, you know, full-time, experience working with a team for an entirety of a season in a front office type role. Um, I came in as an intern for advanced scouting with the Rays. Um, I went back, finished school after my last stint with the league office and, and got my car in March, drove across the country and started with the Rays and, and was fortunate that they hired me at the, the winter meeting. So went through that process, uh, changed a lot of milk. Um, Jeremy Sowers um, gave me the opportunity to come in and work in advanced scouting. Um, and that was just a complete, you know, eye-opening experience because it really merged a bunch of different parts of my experience at that point. I was working around the clubhouse with the players and the coaches, um, you know, and then I was really getting to work with our analysts, our R&D team, um, you know, and then my my colleagues around the, the department on the baseball operations side, you know, helping to procure, you know, the advance report for our upcoming opponents, um, series in, series out. And that was really just, you know, my first time working in a collaborative um, way within a major league front office. Um, and it, I couldn't have asked for a better organization to do it with the Rays are, you know, a first class organization from top to bottom, um, from bottom to top, um, with just some incredible, incredible individuals who are all, um, you know, destined for greatness, whether that be in baseball operations or, or some other, you know, facet within sports or, or, or elsewhere. Um, and for that to be my first, you know, my first stop post, um, you know, internship to the league office and post time with the Giants, um, you know, in a whole new city, in a whole new environment. I couldn't have been more fortunate um, and privileged to be there. I spent a year there, um, ultimately 
you know, realized it just wasn't going to be a match for a full-time opportunity. But fortunately enough, you know, I'd met um, some of the, the Cubs contingent um, the season prior while I was at the winter meetings. And, you know, we kept in touch and, and I landed in Chicago um, as, an, as a trainee in baseball operations, primarily focusing on major league ops. And, you know, that group, again, um, you know, my former boss, you know, Jeff Greenberg just took the GM job with the Chicago Blackhawks. Um, and, you know, it's just a really, really brilliant group. And I think I, I looked um, at that opportunity as a real chance to come in on the ground floor of a, of a group that had had, you know, a ton of success, um, you know, building uh, a sustainable, you know, team and, and roster that had won a World Series in 2016 and, you know, had a track record of, of you know, knowing how um, to make things happen. And so, you know, going in there, it was quite the privilege. I think to your, your question, Jake, and I, and I know I'm rambling a little bit, but, you know, ultimately, I think taking a step back, I had always had a lot of questions around, you know, baseball and um, where it sat in the zeitgeist within popular culture and its relevancy. And I think um, that really started back during my time at the league office. I think we were given an interim project at one point of like, if you could change the game or make it relevant in any one way, how would you do it? And uh, that was the, that was the way in which I, I thought I could, um, I could really push the envelope forward um, was trying to see how we could make the game more relevant popular culture. And so I, I kind of went on a fact finding mission. I, I took a couple of trips. I was fortunate to go out to Nike um, and I started just meeting people that were in other facets of the industry um, and just trying to learn more about, you know, why players and, and what have you, um, you know, weren't, weren't hitting the pulse of popular culture, much like you saw some of the players in the, in the mid nineties were like a Ken Griffey Jr. at Barry Bonds, or, you know, even before that at Daryl Strawberry, you know, um, all these guys who'd had such, you know, Bo, Bo Jackson, I mean, such illustrious careers and were, were household names in kind of the broader ethos of sports um, that had kind of transcended baseball. Um, and yet baseball at this time had just not had that kind of that player. Right. Um, and so I, I kept trying to figure out why that was. Ultimately, I met um, the now general manager uninterrupted Jimmy Spencer back, um, you know, a few years prior to that through some, you know, former players that I'd worked with the Giants. Um, and, and he basically said, you know, when the timing's right, I'd love to have you come over here. And beginning of 2021, um, you know, he introduced me to my current boss and um, it was a hard decision. And I ultimately just felt like it was the right one um, to kind of um, try and come see how Uninterrupted had really built what they've built and, and um, empowering athletes and giving them the platform to tell stories and create narrative. And um, to me, while everybody was talking about some other issues within the game um, that, that needed to definitely be addressed within, you know, on field play, I was really curious around this other side, which was really creating narrative and telling stories around the game that were meaningful and impactful and could broach a broader audience to bring them into the game of baseball. Um, and I felt like uninterrupted in Spring Hill was, was in some way going to afford me the opportunity to do that while also learning, you know, this entirety, the entirety of the other side of the business. Well, it's, it's interesting, like whether you know it or not, like I think back to your comment of when you were on the float on the parade, right. And the moment and not being able to put it into words. And those are the types of things that you're trying to, in a way, yeah. right, put into a storytelling component and share it with the world, right? Yeah. And, and I think that's the most fascinating part is, is like 
yeah, you might be in a different part of the industry and you might be in something that's new and different and, you know, player platform storytelling. And one would look at it and go like, how the heck, like that's so different than baseball ops, but it's, it is and it isn't right. Because at the end of the day, you're still trying to tell a story. You're um, still looking at, you know, data, you're still developing relationships, you're still all the different intangibles, right, that you've learned along the way, how to deal with executives, how to deal with, you know, different people from different parts of industries, you're doing it all, right? So um, I just think it's it's super interesting to hear your your whole lead up story, right? Because uh, otherwise, you wouldn't exactly know how it all connects. Yeah. And um, as we wrap up here, the, the, the one question I got for you is, um, if, if there's a story that you are wanting to tell, right, based on some of your research, based on uh, what's out there, what's a story in the future that, that you want to try and tell? Oh, that's great. I mean, I will, um, I'll do a shameless pug right now, actually. It's funny when I got here and this, this kind of goes back to talking around and about, um, you know, uh, again, creating narrative and telling stories around the game of baseball, um, that will, will resonate with people in the broader scope and ether of our society. And I think that was something that I just had always thought about and wanted to be a part of. And again, when I made that jump out, um, you know, it was kind of like a personal passion and, and mission of mine um, to make sure baseball remains prevalent and relevant within, you know, the fabric of, of our country. Um, and we had a project when I first got here called After Jackie that, um, you know, had been brought to us by Major League Baseball and, and um, you know, Oscar nominated director and, and executive producer Stanley Nelson um, a while back that really um, chronicled the journey of the 1964 Cardinals team that ultimately um, helped to desegregate uh, spring training in, in Florida and um, really in all of baseball. I think at that point, a lot of people hear the story of Jackie Robinson, but they don't know the journey and the story of, of a lot of the players that followed in his footsteps directly thereafter. And so this story really chronicled um, the legacy of Bill White, Kurt Flood, and Bob Gibson, um, and, and what they did to come together and then ultimately win the 1964 World Series against the against the New York Yankees, um, and nobody wanted it, and nobody wanted to tell the story. Nobody, no distributor wanted it. Um, we we're fortunate enough that it coincided with the 75th anniversary of Jackie Robinson breaking the color barrier, which happens to be this year in 2022. Um, and so, what we were able to do was take that to a distributor. Um, the History Channel was able to pick it up. They were like, "We're all here for that." And that project's actually going to be coming out on history um, on June 18th. And it really unpacks the legacy of Bill White, who was the first African-American president of, major, of any major sports league in North America when he became the president of the National League in the, the 1980s. Kurt Flood, who obviously was at the forefront of free agency for all of sports. And Bob Gibson, who's probably one of the most dominant and prolific uh, aces of all time and, and, and black aces at that. Um, and these three men who ultimately not only had an impact on the field, but, um, you know, had a legacy in the front office of sports um, and in baseball. And, you know, that project, it hit so close to home for me because it was like coming out of working in base operations with the Cubs and then being able to go and just have, you know, an inkling of a touch on a project on behalf of Uninterrupted in Spring Hill. Um, you know, it was just it was unbelievable. And, you know, it's kudos to Devin Johnson or, 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 you know, 
president and, and COO and, and Jamal Henderson, our chief content officer, and really Philip Byron, um, you know, our head of Unscripted and Docs for believing in this story enough to continue pushing it forward. Um, and then ultimately, you know, uh, you know, Maverick and, and LeBron lending their name to this story that has so much, um, so much to do with where we are right now in society and where we, where we are right now in sports. And, you know, you look back at people like Kurt Flood and, and Bill White and Bob Gibson, you're like, how, how do we not know their stories? How is it just now in 2022 that we're finding out? And that's really where, like I, my passion was, it was like, Hey, there's so much that baseball has done for our country, for our world. And people don't know, like people don't know why baseball is important. They say it's a dying sport. Why do we keep it alive? Why do we try to, you know, continue to push our athletes out there and through the zeitgeist? This is why, because if it wasn't for men, like, you know, the ones I just, you know, alluded to earlier, um, you know, who knows where the landscape of sports would be today. So, so after Jackie, that's the story I'm, I'm, I'm plugging June 18th, 8 Eastern uh, on history channel. It will also be able to find on the history app, but we're really excited about that. And then, and then the Jackie Robinson museum, is opening up in uh, in Manhattan uh, next month, which is going to be really really cool too. So amazing! I didn't even prep you for that, and you had that all teed up. It was great. No, you didn't. You didn't. I mean, but hey, you're a natural storyteller. Uh, what can I say? What you know, say? It, it's uh, it's on it's on the forefront. It's at the top of my mind. But no, it's uh, you know that that those are the cool things right now, Jake. Like it's it's really being able to come in and learn from some absolutely incredible incredible um, producers, storytellers, executives. Um, who've had, you know, roles and responsibilities across not only sports, but entertainment and popular culture, um, you know, and then obviously, you know, still having a touch point on baseball and, and helping to hopefully still grow the game in my own way, um, you know, has, has been really important to me. So. You're, you're always a sponge, man. You're always learning. Uh, I appreciate the conversations because I know I always learn something from you every time we chat. So um, appreciate having you on the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Choose Your Organic. Uh, looking forward to having you on again in the near future. Best of luck with the launch here and uh, much more to come. Thanks, Shay. Thanks for listening to the Life in the Front Office podcast presented by Suja Organic. Remember, you can get 15% off any one-time pack on shop.sujajuice.com with the code LIFO, L-I-F-O. And remember, if you like this episode or you like the Life in the Front Office podcast, please leave a review on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. Really appreciate you tuning in and stay tuned for the next one.